very funnily went up to him and said, oh, is Jermaine, is it? Well, it was very funny. He goes, you can call me JJ if you want. This so the whole game, evil. I'm there, JJ, JJ. I even shortened it to J at one point. I was like, yeah. well, I scored and he didn't, so. <laughs> OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Hi. Watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. All right, bang on half past 11. It's Friday morning, which means it is the football kickoff with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, by the way. And anytime we go live, we'll send you a little notification. Now, I'm delighted to welcome Clive Allen and Colin Bowie to the show this week. Gents, you're both very welcome. Um, it's one of those weeks where the football news cycle has been relatively kind. There haven't been absolutely massive stories, which gives us plenty of time to look at the fixtures. Clive, how are you getting on? Good morning. I can't hear you clearly, guys, I'm afraid. Okay, I might try and just redial you back there to make sure that you can, unless that's any better now, is it? It's all muffled. Grant, well, we'll, we'll, ring, you, we'll ring you straight back um, on the Zoom or Skype or whatever it is, and we'll get into these fixtures ourselves. The five fixtures that we're looking at, Manchester City against Fulham on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock is the Premier Sports game. Everton against Leicester at half past five is on Sky Sports on Saturday. Then on Sunday... It's Chelsea against Arsenal. It's the early kickoff, 12 o'clock, BT Sport. At 2 o'clock, Southampton versus Newcastle and uh, Sky Sports. And then Spurs versus Liverpool at half past four on Sunday. What a big game Spurs versus Liverpool could have been. Oh, it still is. It still is. Come on. In terms of destination of anything hugely important like the title, well, it, it has the, no relevance. It's an interesting points disparity. Uh, by the end of play on Sunday... Antonio Conte could find himself 13 points behind uh, or it could be a 13 point difference between Spurs and Liverpool and that is significant for November first week in November you know and I, so that itself is something to talk about and also then you have the personalities of Klopp and Conte in the sidelines and the fact that Spurs are seriously in trouble up front no San possibly no Kudasevsky possibly no Richardson so Brian Hill might have to play or they could go Lucas Moura, even Perisic and Harry Kane up front. So they have decisions to make. Whereas Klopp is making all the noise about all the injuries that Liverpool have. Spurs are actually not too fresh either. So it, there, there's, a, there's an interesting narrative going to it. Do you think Spurs are still potential title contenders? No, absolutely not. I never thought they were. Never thought they were. They're, they're like... I, I think they're strong for top four. Like I, I think they should be ahead of United. But United proved at Old Trafford recently that they're actually quite ahead of Spurs at the moment under Ten Hag which I was surprised about I never considered Spurs for the title I don't think Conte believes the Spurs can win the title which is probably the most important thing so he's still trying to convince them that they're mentally capable of competing with the biggest and best and also his contract ends in the summer so it feels like to me that um, Spurs have to impress him if he's going to renew it's an interesting scenario they find themselves in. Um, let's go through these games. If, if anybody wants to leave a comment, you can get us on the, on the YouTube stream. If you've got thoughts on the Spurs-Liverpool game, Manchester City against Fulham. Um, I think the most point of interest at, uh, in world football at the moment tends around whether or not uh, your fantasy football team should include the greatest striker in the world at the moment because he might miss this because of injury. Yeah, just talk of him coming back possibly, but why risk him at home to Fulham? Well, the Fulham are quite good this season, but uh, Julian Alvarez played very well during the week in Sevilla. So why don't you just play Alvarez and save Haaland? Then again, Haaland played, well, how many more games are there to play before the World Cup? Then Haaland gets an extended break again. Um, I would say if he's in any bit of a doubt, just throw him on the bench. And then, Jesus, like, if you're Marco Silva, you're doing okay against City. You're uh, keeping Alvarez at bay, and then himself comes on after 55 minutes. You're like, oh, Jesus, this is a whole other game again. That's the beauty of where they are. 
Um, are, are they failing to impress at the moment? Are they only okay, Manchester City? What's going on? No, they're not. They're, the thing with Pep, as we know, when he goes on these jazz solos in these big games and he decides to play Rodri left wing, because, you know, I, I think we'll actually get at the right back if we do that. That's the only thing that stops Pep Guardiola. I, I don't think that they're really faltering that much at all. I mean, how much perfection are you expecting with Man City? I guess because the team has been improved so significantly by the signing of Haaland and the team was already close to 100 points in the league. Yeah, You, you kind of did expect them to potentially have an invincible season or to go on one of those... 25 game winning runs that like blows everybody out of the water it's like you know there have been league seasons where they've won the league by November where we just know this is going to be a long slow steady they've got the 10 point window and they're just going to keep everybody at arm's length and that hasn't happened Arsenal are two points clear right now but I don't believe for a second that Arsenal are going to win the league no I don't think anybody does and I think they kind of know that themselves Man City hopefully Man City look this invincible season is really overrated Arsenal drew 13 matches that season it's a lot of dropped points City will elapse that it it is a lot of dropped points but it is also like a thing in sport not being beaten by anybody over the course of a season marks you out it's nice fairly remarkable it was Arsene Wenger's last great moment it's nice but I mean like I would take Pep Guardiola's dominance like you could lose the odd game to Southampton you get over it very quickly but like from a Manchester United perspective, the demolition in the Manchester derby, like, I'd be very content if I was a City fan at the moment. Really, the only thing you're looking for is can you, can you get adequate replacements for players that are guaranteed starters? That would be kind of it for me at the moment for City. City's biggest worry is Pep's own future. Uh, I don't think he's going to stay for. Go back to the point you were making about replacements. Who are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, if I'm looking at uh, Riyad Mahrez, for example, he's kind of faltered slightly this season. But I'm looking just like everything's going so well for them so then you're just looking at okay I'm not getting as much as I did last season under Maris. he seems a bit affected maybe by the arrival of Haaland maybe because he's not a guaranteed starter a bit like San with the arrival of Richardson seems to diminish his ability somehow and uh, maybe Maris just isn't as confident as he was so stuff like that or maybe even getting a bit more out of Grealish okay so then I'm like asking myself can I actually sign players that are better than Grealish and Maris? And that's kind of really it. But I think if you're like at their strongest, City are phenomenal. And I suppose the most impressive thing, look, you can have a go at City all you want about how they make the money and the limitless supply that they have of it and having the greatest manager and it's so easy for them. But since 2017, they've been consistently amazing and they've blown all proportion out of what makes a great Premier League side. And I think like Alex Ferguson retired at a decent time because that was the perfect way to end his legacy in 2013 with that last squad that United won the league with wasn't brilliant. And then they already 10 years on, Klopp and Pep have taken the level of football in the Premier League to a limit that I didn't think was possible, especially over more than two seasons in a row. That's where we are with it. I don't, how, would you, how, how would you complain about City? Uh, uh, well, just, just the least of our worries. And, and, and not, obviously we're not complaining. If you're, um, maybe the level of, of expectation is out of kilter with what any any team can actually deliver over a sustained period of time maybe that's it well well, the only thing he can do is win the Champions League like he's done everything he can in the Premier League like <laughs> I'd be way more worried if I was Jurgen Klopp the one Premier League title they won was in front of nobody like I want I'd want to rectify that if I was Liverpool yeah I mean they've also had excellent seasons and won a Champions League they have yeah but we're talking sky high level here aren't yeah, we? We, well, yeah. that's what I mean yeah only with City I don't think you can hold Liverpool to the same standards when they haven't spent the money I think what haven't spent the same amount of money they obviously have spent a lot of money too I mean that is a compliment to Liverpool uh, sure what clubs got out of them sure but 
I, I don't squeeze think, the maximum. I think you have to hold City to slightly higher standards given the investment that has, has been made over a sustained period of time. So Manchester City versus Fulham, that game kicks off three o'clock on Saturday. And as I said, at the moment, the most jeopardy is about people's fantasy football teams. Clive Allen is back with us. You can hear us now, Clive, I think. Um, is there any, any hope that for the rest of the Premier League that games like this Man City-Fulham game that somehow Manchester City sleepwalk into a few Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, they almost never play there anymore. You know, Fulham, they probably won't be that familiar with many of the players given they've just come up from the... I don't know, I'm trying to talk myself into it here, Clive. I'm, I'm failing miserably. You're, 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 you're making a, a good case, but um, I think that this is such a professional outfit, this Manchester City squad of players. Whenever they're called upon, they know they've got to perform. If they don't perform, they, they don't stay in the side. They, they get rotated. Um, for Fulham, I think Fulham have acquitted themselves really well in the Premier League so far. So it's one of those where I think Pep will emphasise it's not a given game. It's one where they would need to go into the break and they'd want to be top of uh, the Premier League as the break approaches. So I can't see any anything less than a City victory. Just to briefly talk about Fulham, the... The way that they've gone about attacking life in the Premier League, hopefully, is a template for other teams to come up. It's we're going to try and attack. We're going to try and use the ball creatively. We're going to invest in our attacking players. Sure, we'll be defensively solid, but actually, we have ambition, and our ambition is not to draw our way to forty points. It's to try and win games. It's to try and thrill the people who come to Craven Cottage and who I think probably over the last two decades have been treated to good quality attacking football generally so maybe there is something in Fulham's tradition and this team are the best variation of that I think that's right I think what they've got they've assembled a team that can play in in the manner that the the coach wants I think there's still a surprise package to the Premier League and I think in the early stages of a Premier League campaign having just been promoted you need to make it work and and certainly uh, Fulham are doing that at the moment I think that they they will play in the same way that they've played recently. They'll be on the front foot. They'll try to attack City. And if there is a weakness with City, if you can get at their back four, they they might cause them a a problem or two. Yeah, I think, uh, as we said, it's whether or not you you start Haaland. That's the decision to make. He seems to be approaching fitness and the mood music is that he probably will play. Yeah, I mean, look, if if Haaland's saying to Pep, I'm totally fine, okay, let's play him. Let's play him. But like, Look, I don't know about you, Clive, but I've been very impressed by Julian Alvarez. What do you think of him? Yeah, I think he's a, he's a I think he's a valuable member of the squad, and obviously he's a different type of player to Erling Haaland. If Haaland's fit, I think he'll play. He's got a nice rest coming up through the World Cup, so um, you know City are going to utilise him to to, the, to his maximum because he's going to have a chance to to certainly rest. Um, Alvarez, I think, is bright. He's different. He, he's he's a, I would say. Uh, you know, it's a big comparison, but um, Aguero-like in in terms of the runs he makes in and around the box, um, and he looks to be a tidy finisher. So um, again, it's a different option that that Pep has when when he plays. Let's move on to the next game. It's Everton against Leicester. This is Saturday evening at half past five on Sky Sports. Um, but real uptick in, in fortune in both teams form over the last four or five weeks in particular Clive what do you put the success that Everton are having and you know it's relative I guess to last season when it was a battle from the start to the end uh, what what is the difference been for them under Frank Lampard recently do you think uh, well I think it's Frank Lampard I think he's been calm he's um, obviously been assessing the squad of players that he had he's, he's got players back 
um, which has been vitally important to him. I think the, the players they added at the start of the season has helped them. That they're, they're growing, I think, as the season's unfolding. Um, they've won and drawn in the last two. I think that give, breeds confidence that uh, I think they're, they're, they're a tough team to beat at the moment, Everton. Obviously, they went to Fulham and got a draw last weekend. They sit mid-table, 12th. I think they'll be, they'll be happy to have just sort of moved away from what looked to be a, a perilous position. Um, but they're coming up against a Leicester team, I think, who stuck with their manager. I think we've talked about this over the years. Um, and, and Leicester, I saw at Spurs not too long ago, play fantastically well and get beat 6-2. And you think, how did they get beat by that many goals? Because they could have scored five themselves at Spurs. So um, this is an intriguing game. I think Leicester obviously still sitting 18th is a difficult one for them. Um, but I, I think... Everton might just edge it with that with that home favour that they have. Um, it's a really really difficult game to call. Yeah, I would say like Leicester feel a lot better than where they are in the league at the moment. It's kind of surprising still to see them in the relegation zone, but that kind of emphasises how poor the start of the season was. For me, James Madison has been absolutely brilliant. Like he's got six goals in the league this season. He's two assists. But Clive, it's been three years since he played for England. That was a solitary cap. Came on as a sub against Montenegro. Would you take him to the World Cup? Uh, that's a really big question. Uh, at the moment, I think we've, we've just got to wait in terms of who's going to be on that plane to the World Cup because of the way players are, are finishing this part of the season. Injuries, obviously, are, are causing problems to all the national managers. Would I take him? I don't think so, purely because his lack of football. Um, I think that there, there are other options. Players who have been playing consistently will be... I would say very fit and very able for you know for the World Cup campaign. It's a good question, isn't it? Like, yeah. what? What were you going to say? No, I, I just take him in a heartbeat. I don't understand Southgate's reluctance at Madison. I think he's so technically gifted well, in a very gifted generation. Where does he? Where does he play? And who do you leave him out? But it's like, like he's okay. already getting grief for not putting Grealish in the team, and then he's going to have another compared to Grealish. They're way more central. You can fit him much more nicely into midfield three. I would say. No, you'd have to have a discipline too. 100%. But like, so who are you dropping? I'm not necessarily saying I'm dropping anyone in particular at the moment. I'm just saying you have to consider him for inclusion in the squad. Not uh, the team necessarily, I, but the squad as an option. I, I think it brings up an interesting point. Like the, the traditional World Cup, you had two or three weeks to get players fit and form who mm. were in your squad who you knew really well. Right now, this is a smash and grab World Cup and any team. This, this could be like Denmark winning the Euros um, in 92 where somebody who just has... 12 or 13 or 14 fit players who are relatively in form as opposed to I've got a massive squad to pick from how do I distill that down well this guy hasn't played any football for me but actually so for example like Calvert-Lewin not, not in anybody's uh, squad at the moment right but if he was to score three goals in the next three games and suddenly look like he is fit and well right but, yeah but that's what I mean by Madison look at his stats for this season like so he's hit this form just at the right time yeah, maybe and also Madison then you have the set, set piece option which is exactly the Trent Alexander-Arnold debate I guess that if Southgate doesn't rate him fair enough but you'd kind of want him but Clive is he, is, is, is he your instinct that the manager like most managers quite conservative they, they will reward players yeah. who have have done it for them in the past but actually it's not as relevant in this tournament as it might have been in previous tournaments because you're not going to be able to play players into form Absolutely, I think that that's the that's the conundrum that um, that Gareth Southgate has. I think he'll stick with the ones he knows, the ones that have been to tournaments with him, the ones that have produced the performances and got results for him. 
the the the, the, the ones he knows what he's going to get from. There, there won't be too many Mavericks in that squad, I don't mm. think. Um, and Mad- Madison has, has been outstanding for Leicester in a, in a team that struggled. But I think that um, you know when you look at his options with with Foden, Mount, there's so many in there. Rice who will will hold that midfield. I think uh, Bellingham has been absolutely brilliant, and he he should start for me alongside Rice in the, in that midfield area. There, there's so many options that I'm not sure that Madison can make that much of a difference um, with the players that that Gareth has his exposal. England and Mavericks. There was a great documentary series on ITV years ago about England's inability to fit Mavericks into their team. Back That's in, right. Yeah, Rodney Marsh and uh, I Glenn Hoddle. I play with the best of all, Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle should have played 150 games for his country. And why didn't he? Um, because he was because he was a, one of the best passers of the ball, footballers at the time, but um, didn't tackle like other English midfielders, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where was he... Not to talk numbers the way everybody talks numbers now, but let's do it. Where did he play on the pitch today if he was playing? Would he be number 10 today? Absolutely. Right. He'd be a number 10. He'd have a free roll. You you win the ball with the extra midfield player. You play it to Glenn Hoddle's feet, and then everything happens from there. And as a striker, he was a dream to play with. So you could actually have picked two of those holding midfielders, like a Steve McMahon and a another. Um, would it have been Steve Hodge? And then put Hoddle in front of them. Yeah, always. But, a, yeah. but we're, we're we're always thinking we're always thinking defensive. You wouldn't necessarily need to have two holding midfield players, one and 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 two more attack minded, but one of those being Glenn Hoddle. Release him from from defensive responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He was sensational. That makes sense. James Madison, twenty twenty two. Well, there you go. I mean, but like uh, Chris Waddle probably didn't play as much for England as he might have done given his talent as well and there's several of those players who were like uh, even John Barnes was considered creative as opposed yeah, to um, but, uh, yeah, at least Waddle played in Italian 90 you know at least he had that moment but like Waddle doesn't have that defining tournament moment that he should have and I fear for Madison <laughs> let's move on because Chelsea versus Arsenal is a big big game on Sunday this one is at 12 o'clock on BT Sport um, the, the Chelsea uh, I don't know is it the honeymoon period definitely came crashing down last weekend big test just to see exactly how Chelsea responded in the league to that performance Clive have you any concerns yeah. about their ability to bounce back um, I, th- I think the, the jury's still out in terms of um, how Potter's going to get the best out of this squad of players they're 6-6 I think they'll be disappointed that they're not 1-3 I think that that is you know that is a concern there's no doubt their Champions League form has been been decent which which was important they needed that with the with the the league form that they've had, but they're coming up against an Arsenal side who, who are as confident as any team in the country at the moment. Um, and this is a big test, I think, for for, for Grand Potter, for Chelsea, um, and certainly, you know, whereas I think we thought Arsenal would come unstuck against the bigger teams, all of a sudden they they, they seem to hold that upper hand in terms of the confidence going into these big games as well. So um, this is a test for Chelsea this weekend. What have you made of Potter so far? I like him. I think it's been a very, very difficult job to come into. Um, and obviously being accepted, certainly first and foremost from the players, um, it looked like it, that they respond, they've responded well to him. But now he's having to make those big decisions, changing players' positions and, and obviously injuries that um, they've sustained. That, that Certainly, I think um, he'll be disappointed about that there's a few players that are not, not available to him. 
So um, it is going to be a real test for him from for just to the end of this part of uh, the first part of the season. Uh, Clive, while you, while you were uh, we were bringing you back earlier when we had the problem with the line, uh, Colin was making the point that he doesn't expect Arsenal to be league champions at the end of the year. I don't think I'm paraphrasing too badly there. And I'd say everybody is kind of in the same boat where oh, Man City are going to win the league. It'll be interesting to see how far Arsenal can take this and how far they can push them. When do people start believing in Arsenal as genuine title contenders? What do they have to do to transform from, oh, that's interesting that they're still doing well into, actually, that's a team who doesn't have weaknesses that we can see and is genuinely going to be capable of going toe-to-toe with Man City? Just as long as everybody keeps saying they can't win it. That, yeah. That's that's the motivation they need, I think. Um, and every big game that comes along, oh yeah, Arsenal coming unstuck this time. I think Leicester City did it a few years back when everybody gave them no chance, just said, oh yeah, this is the weekend they come unstuck, this is the weekend the wheels come off, um, they fall apart, they'll disintegrate and disappear. Um, I think that this is a, a group that the longer the season's gone on and results achieved, they've just grown and grown in confidence and belief. Um, and under Arteta, they have a belief that um, they can go on and keep winning. That Leicester point's really interesting, actually. Like, that is exactly what happened that year. The only difference is there was no Pep Guardiola that year. That was, I think that was Pellegrini's last season in charge at Man City, I think. And he announced, yeah. I think, in the February that he was leaving as well. So it was a good time and funnily enough it was Arsenal who were their biggest contenders that year and then Spurs right at the end capitulated as well. Um, like I've been so impressed with Arsenal but there is just something about me like I just don't trust them to maintain a challenge and I suppose it's 15 years of inconsistency really, do you know? I, 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 I don't know, Like it, they're definitely different this season. They're 100% better and it's so down to Mikel Arteta and what he's done to that club. However, well, I, think I don't think they can maintain think- this. Yeah, I think he's given the youngsters their head. He's given them a belief. Um, I think they've grown in confidence and matured um, with the experience. He's certainly at the end of last season when, when really they threw it away. Spurs obviously got that massive result at the end of the season against them. But from that, they've bounced and, and, and I, I think they've learned. They don't want, they don't want that experience again. And um, they've had a, I think they've had a really ruthless streak. Um, the whole squad, when players have come in, they've performed well. Um, and that confidence has grown massively. They're, they're, they're a completely different entity to they were last season. Um, Phil Egan was making the point outside that uh, Gabriel Jesus' his, his scoring form in the first eight weeks of the season was sensational, but it's tailed off fairly significantly since. He kind of needs to start scoring goals in big games like this again, just to remind everybody of, of how brilliant his start of the season was. Yeah, absolutely. I think any striker, you get judged by your goals. I think it's nine now he hasn't scored, so it's uh, it, 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 that, that will be a concern for him. But I think his contribution to the team, to the squad, the way it's lifted the whole club, uh, him, Shinchenko, um, has, been, has played a massive part in, in just lifting the bar, really, at Arsenal. So, um, you know, it will be it will be perfect for the manager and for Jesus to to get back on the scoring sheet at uh, in a London derby against Chelsea this weekend. Do you do you give him a penalty to like just break the duck, or do you do you think about it? Do you talk about it? Do you address it with him, Clive? No, no. You you it, it, it's looking at what you did well when you were scoring the goals, positions you take take uh, took up, the opportunities that were created. How how can you maintain that? And then the, the, obviously the final part of it is finishing it off but if you keep getting in those right places and you keep uh, you, you maintain that threat that you had earlier on in the season the goals will come because uh, he is a goal scorer 
he collided with the post against Nottingham Forest last weekend that's how close he was from about two yards out but yeah he's doing everything else right you'd be concerned slightly more if it was the other way around because I don't put him down to just goals he's providing for others and they scored five against Forest so I think they're doing quite well for me this is the most interesting narrative if you like going into this game is uh, Aubameyang back after he said he wanted to create a legacy at Arsenal two years ago it's two clubs since and he's back at Chelsea now he's the enemy uh, Clive would you want Aubameyang at your club? Um, a goal scoring Aubameyang yes um, a temperamental Aubameyang no um, and I think that was the dilemma that um, Mikel Arteta had um, he had to make a big call I think the call that he made for his football club his team and his football club at the time was the right one um, obviously Aubameyang went off to Barcelona he now finds himself back in the capital at Chelsea um, you know, I've played against many of my former teams and there's nothing more you like than uh, than just showing them what you're capable of by putting the ball in the net. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past Pierre Aubameyang um, certainly putting a, a goal in for Chelsea this weekend. Yeah, it's because, uh, you know, spicy enough. There's yeah. been uh, plenty of little chatter in the back, back and forth in the meantime, stuff leaking out. So... Uh, it's about as spicy as it gets in modern football where it's like oh it was great I loved my time there everybody was brilliant I really enjoyed myself and this is like no I didn't like him he couldn't deal with me you beforehand know? in the tunnel he'll be all over the Arsenal players 95 minutes later he'll have scored a brace and it'll be 2 all. 2 all draw is your prediction <laughs> yeah, well, that'd I be a good game so, yeah. what's your prediction for this one Clive? I'm just going to go with a confident Arsenal just to edge it I think they got a big result there last season I, I see them going to Stamford Bridge and um you know, getting 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 a win by the odd goal. Well, that would be a big, big statement win for them if that happens. So that is uh, 12 o'clock on BT Sport on Sunday. Then 2 o'clock, Southampton versus Newcastle is uh, on Sky Sports. Newcastle, the train keeps rolling. They keep doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Just took care of business last week, Clive. Um, I, I had been predicting at the end of last season that they would be top <laughs> four this year. But um, I genuinely think that, like... You know, there's another transfer window to come. There's, their record signing has barely played since he got injured. He looked good when he was fit at the start. But, uh, you know, notwithstanding all of the issues around the club, the football team itself is playing good football at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, top-class football. They've got a front line, Linton, Wilson, uh, Almiron, who are red-hot. Almiron, I think, has taken a little while to, to just settle and adjust, but he's now showing the undoubted ability that he has. Defensively, they're solid. Um, there's a momentum and that you know that's a massive word for for any team there's a momentum building and when when that Newcastle support get behind them they uh, they're formidable um, there can be some dark times there and we've seen those but I think at the moment everything is on the up and uh, this is a game I see uh, another away trip they came to London beat Spurs I can see them going to the south coast and beating Southampton Ralph Hassan it could be in serious trouble here I mean since that win over Chelsea and Late August, they've they've won one and last five of the last eight games. Um, uh, during the summer as well, that the hierarchy at Southampton can basically force Hassanul to change his backroom staff. They they have faith in the man himself, but not his surroundings. What do you think will change for Hassanul in order for him to keep his job, Clive? Or do you see the end uh, as near for him? Well, it's staying above, you know, that relegation line. It's keeping it's it's keeping, you know points ticking over on the board whether that be withdraws they, they've only had that one win recently I think that um, it, it's vitally important that they, they try to stop the, the, the run of defeats which um, certainly at the start of the season was, was very poor um, yeah, it's a difficult one because Southampton are looking down they're seeing Leicester um, emerging point behind them now 
I think that Hassan Hussle knows that um, this is a difficult game, one in which he, he cannot afford to get beat, I feel. I think this is going to be a mad season in terms of the relegation battle. There's only 10 points between yeah. Fulham in 7th and Forest in 20th. Mm. You can throw a blanket over the team, and that obviously includes uh, Liverpool, who aren't going to get relegated at all. But like, you could see any of those teams who early in the season were like, oh, Brighton, they're doing great. Oh, the manager's yeah. so good, he's got to go and uh, get the Chelsea gig. And it's like, anybody could sink like a stone. You know, and any of those teams at the bottom can also go on a run to get out of it. So yeah. uh, nobody is safe at the moment. And that's why trigger-happy uh, chairman and owners are definitely going to be sacking managers over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for yeah. that. I always say that any of those teams down there need a three-game run. Three three matches, nine points. They win three. That just catapults them up the table. They go three games unbeaten. Three points can be enough for, to lift them out of what looks like a really dangerous position. So, you know, any of the and any of the teams are, are capable all the way up to uh, Liverpool in ninth where you shouldn't see Liverpool, but... Liverpool ninth on 16 points, just five points off of the relegation zone. Incredible. Yeah, and like you wouldn't say Brighton and Fulham, um, the, their form has been excellent, and Brighton's win last week, you would say. But if the season goes the way it goes, uh, weird things are going to happen, particularly because we don't have one season this year, we have two years. We've got the whole break, mm-hmm. and then everybody's going to reset in that break, and whoever catapults themselves out of that break at the start. Um, good things are going to happen for some teams and really bad things are going to happen for some other teams. You're saying you, you'll be a wise man now to correctly predict the bottom three come I the end of the season. I think it's impossible at the moment. Impossible. Oh, I th- yeah, I I'm looking at it now. Forest, Wolves. Yeah, I mean, there are two, that, I would say two of the three will go. And maybe Bournemouth. I, I think Bournemouth could go, Brentford could go, I think Palace could go, I think... Uh, I think Leeds <laughs> could go. If you, I can go. I can... Yeah, but who? Make a case for any of those teams, I think, yeah. at this stage. It, it, so much depends on... Cause it, and also, the transfer window doesn't end until the end of January. So you've got this weird time when the World yeah. Cup is on. And then another month for teams oh, to influence. Yeah. Could be, come here, do you give Hasselhoff credit for conceding nine twice? And still keeping his and job. And still keeping. And or would you be job, like, yeah. I'm a bit more worried about the 18 goals of two games? No, I think it, I think to, to stay up and to recu- recover from that situation is fairly remarkable. I think it's, yeah. I think it's a huge test. And also, character. I think the fact that they didn't sack him after that was, uh, yeah. was good stuff. So Spurs against Liverpool, we talked a little bit about this at the top of the show. Um, I, I, Clive, what's the truth about this Spurs team? They're like still finding what their identity is a little bit and they also have some fairly significant injury problems so maybe we're being too harsh on saying that the performances haven't been at the level that we might have hoped them to be at uh, and yet at the same time they're still riding high on the table so where, where are they in, in terms of what the manager wants them to be do you think? I think they're, they're moving towards what the manager wants um, what the manager wants is not going to change he's going to go about trying to win football matches in the way that he does, whether it be described as defensive first half, dropping off on the front foot second half, forcing the game, um, as we as we saw certainly in the Champions League game at Marseille this week. Um, Spurs are third in the Premier League, 26 points, I think, um, at this stage of the season. If they're third going into the break with um, with obviously players away at the World Cup, as you say, resetting for the for the running at the start of the uh, of of the second half of the season, I think that Spurs supporters should uh, would, should take that gratefully and, and say, right, we're in a fantastic position. First and foremost, qualify for Champions League again next season, which has to be a requisite. Um, it, it, it's what's on the tin. That's what you're getting. Is what's on the tin. 
is there much more improvement to come, do you think? Let, let's spool forward and say Conte signs a, a new deal. What does what does the next couple of years look like um, with Conte being backed in the transfer market, for example? Where does the the bit? How do they how do they become the team that goes toe to toe with City? I think that they they would have to break the bank. They would have to go very big, sign a player of the the ilk of Jude Bellingham, an attacking midfield player who can score goals, who can add goals from midfield, make uh, maybe the midfield area a little bit more dynamic. Um, certainly, you know, when we're in this position and you've, and you've got, you're going to have no son against Liverpool, Richarlison and Kulazewski probably un, un, unavailable as well. Um, you would look at it and say that um, moving forward, more strength in depth in that squad, which I think the manager's already gone on record as saying he needs. Um, and that, that would be the way that Spurs will progress, certainly in the second half of the season, to add one or two players in that transfer window. It does feel like Jude Bellingham, the sweepstakes to win the Jude Bellingham signature is the next great transfer saga. Yeah. I hadn't really, Absolutely. I hadn't factored Spurs in before. Um, do you think they might be in that sweepstakes? I hope so. I do hope so because I think he's, he's he, he just has everything that's required for um, a dynamic midfield player to, I think, be successful in the Premier League. Um, he, he has a, a fantastic attitude, engine, technical ability, goal-scoring prowess from midfield. That is exactly what, um, for me, what Spurs need to add to that midfield uh, um, compartment. Liverpool season is a little bit like the final year of Pochettino at Spurs, where they were excellent in the Champions League and not great in the league that year. Um, did it, was there ever an explanation for why that happened under Pochettino? Is there anything that we can learn from that and apply to this Liverpool team? Just maybe the demands, the demands on those players to perform at that level week in, week out, twice a week. It's it's never never easy. And um, you know, it, I know people said it's an aging Liverpool midfield that maybe, but maybe need a Jude Bellingham in their midfield, and you, you could see him fitting there as well. But um, you know, for 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 Jurgen Klopp, he's, he's maybe the the first period in his uh, managerial career at Liverpool where he's coming under scrutiny himself, his changes, his substitutions, the players that he's playing, um, the players that he's having to play because of because of the injury problems and, and his you know, his squad depth is being questioned as well. So it's a, it's an unusual situation for Liverpool to find themselves in. He's got freedom of Liverpool, didn't he? Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, it's oh, not forever. Forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Even if he's bad form at the moment. Um, yeah, like this is this is going to be such a great match. Like the atmosphere of this stadium, like Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Spurs Liverpool. This is a proper like winter game where it's going to be dark by kickoff, pretty much. But I'd say I'd say even coming through the television, it'll be an incredible atmosphere. I just wanted to ask you, Clive, what's the best atmosphere you've played in? Which stadium? Oh wow, that's uh, that's a, a difficult one. The Velodrome at Marseille for Bordeaux when I was playing in France. I think uh, always uh, London derbies, so playing at, at White Hart Lane against Arsenal. Um, there's, there's been there's been a, a number where, but uh, for me, the best atmosphere I've ever witnessed, and I wasn't actually playing in the game, but was coaching, was the second leg uh, when Spurs played Inter Milan Champions League, the uh, the famous Gareth Bale oh, game yeah. in uh, San Siro. The return at White Hart Lane, I have to say, was absolutely spectacular. It was, um, you know, spine tingling. It was a, a white heart lane that was absolutely electric that night. Um, that's the best atmosphere within a club stadium that I've uh, that I've experienced. 
the 10 year anniversary was during the week you know yes. that that was a decade has a player's career ever changed as much at half time at San Siro in the first of those two matches when Inter Milan were 4-0 up under Rafa Benitez and Gareth Bale came back out and scored a hat-trick and they lost 4-3 and from then on in it was the new Gareth Bale it was like a player's career changing forever in a quarter of an hour Oh yeah, absolutely announced himself to the world and showed what, what he was capable of. There was a, a right back by the name of Mikon who, mm-hmm. who who absolutely probably probably his career went the complete opposite way to that of Gareth Bale's after that performance that night. Did you guys know Gareth Bale had that in him? Yes, absolutely, yeah. We'd seen it in, in glimpses in training. He was one of those young lads that when he arrived from Southampton he was and, and no disrespect to him, he was still a, uh, he was still a baby rather than a young man who grew into this phenomenal physical um, specimen with undoubted talent, speed, and he did things in training when you had players like Rafa van der Vaart, Luka Modric, who would just sort of stop when he flicked it over someone's head, spun him behind them, and left them for dead. And Modric looks at you as a coach and says, "Did he just do that?" And it was yes, he did. Um, and then he was able to obviously it took him some time to develop at Spurs but once he started and he grew he grew into the Gareth Bale that we know now um, he was sensational Did he always have that blistering speed? I remember him playing at left back with Southampton in the early days of Spurs because he wore the number three and he was seen as a bit of a set piece specialist and a great left foot but was he always blisteringly fast Clive or did he develop that with um, strength and conditioning? Um, he he had it. There was a it was a there was an absolutely natural athlete there. But yeah, without a doubt, the development that came over I would say over the first couple of years when he arrived at Spurs, the, the sports scientists certainly uh, did a lot of work with him. Gareth worked tirelessly to to improve his physique, and um, uh, being the natural athlete he was, he just went on to be something that uh, you just couldn't catch. He was he's as quick as anybody I've seen. Give us your prediction for Spurs Liverpool. I'm going to go for a Spurs victory, which um, would be a surprise to everybody, I'm sure, listening. But I'm, I'm going to go Spurs 2-1. Spurs should win this now with the league form that Liverpool are in? Um, they should. They should win it. But I'm going to say it'll be an entertaining nil-nil. Oh, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> no way. <I'm> <laughs> the clammy <laughs> hand of, of death from Colin Buig and nil-all. Entertaining. Right, that's this week's episode of the uh, football kickoff with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. My thanks to Clive Allen. Always great to have him on the show. My thanks to you, Colin, as well, and to all you folks watching on YouTube as well. We obviously stream this again live on the radio on uh, Friday evening as well. So we'll see you next Friday at half past eleven. Take care. The football kickoff with Sky. Watch every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.